comic books, comic books, comics, comic book podcasts, we like comic books, because they have no phone. I'm Joe Getcho, and I'm Mike White, and this is We Like Comics, because they have no bones. Ah, you didn't think I was going to say it all, did you? I wasn't sure, but I'm glad that you did. Now you know. As usual, everybody, you can check us out on social media, Boneless Comics Podcast, on Instagram, Facebook, or YouTube for the after show, and at Boneless Comics 1 on Twitter. We've got a little bit of engagement going there, too, so that's really good to see. Thank you, everybody, who has commented or liked or subscribed. We really appreciate it. That is fantastic. Also, don't forget to check us out at our website at bonelesscomicspodcast.wordpress.com for bonus material, notes on each episode, little biographies on each of us, your hosts, and then also directly on our podcast distribution site, anchor.fm slash boneless You can add comments there as well. So wherever you go, like us, subscribe us, and send us comments with your thoughts on our episodes. And we're really starting to grow. We've actually got a few international listeners, apparently, who knew. So just wanted to give a quick shout out to everyone listening from Germany, Argentina, Canada, Australia, and Spain. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank you, everybody. That's really awesome to see that we're going a little more international and it's not just necessarily limited to the U.S. Exciting times. Today, we will be talking about Batgirl, The Darkest Reflection by Gail Simone and Ardian CF. And that covers issues one through six of Batgirl's New 52 series. So just for a minor distinction there, I don't know that the story arc is necessarily called that, but that's the name of the trade. So that's how we're going to be referring to it. Makes sense to me. All right. So let's jump into Gail Simone. Her works include DC's Batgirl, obviously, because that's what we're talking about in this episode, um, but also Birds of Prey, the all-new Adam and Wonder Woman, and she actually had a famous run on Marvel's Deadpool as well. She was a former hairdresser who studied theater in college and then joined a group of comic book fans to start a website in 1999 dedicated to identifying female superheroes who had been killed, raped, or otherwise suffered traumatic indignities as a plot device for a male character so you can already tell that she's very passionate about her work she wrote an online column which included according to her own words classic humor columns satirizing an industry she knew nothing about as well as some columns that just plain sucked Uh, so she has quite a bit of wit to her as well her first comics were with bongo comics scripting many of their issues books based on the simpsons Mm. So she's known for being unfailingly polite and interacting a lot with the online fandom. She's also famously feminist, but she puts in a lot of raunchy humor and also puts female character sexualities on display. Every issue of her work is peppered with some kind of casual snark. So, of course, Deadpool would be a good place for her to write, although there wouldn't be as much feminism there, but Deadpool's crazy, (laughs) so he can kind of do everything. Sure. So after a little over a year after this was released, The Darkest Reflection, Gail Simone received an email from the DC editor at the time that she was being removed as writer of Batgirl. So he didn't even do it in person or on the phone or anything. It was an email. And this, of course, blew up the internet because she had a Twitter interaction that seemed to imply there was a disagreement over how to handle a female character to the point of killing her off. But even though that happened, it only lasted 10 days, probably because of the huge backlash by the fandom, as DC rehired her 
in late December. And so there was another writer, Ray Fox, not to be confused with Guy Fox, I guess, wrote <laughs> issue 17 and 18. And then Simone came back on issue 19. So she only missed two issues. Yeah, uh, Ray Fox, all I recall him writing in New 52, I didn't actually remember that he did any Batgirl. But I know that he was writing Constantine's standalone title for a little while. And a lot of the more magic characters, they had like a big crossover event, Forever Evil Blight, between all the magic titles. And I believe Ray Fox was involved in that as well. So I, that's a name that I've run across. But this is, this is interesting that you bring this up because I do remember now that you're saying it, that there was a lot of editorial upheaval at DC right after New 52 started. Mm -hmm. particularly after the first eight or nine issues of the books they were canceling titles shuffling around creative teams things like that really trying to hold on to those high sales that they started off with so I'm not exactly sure what was going on at the time as far as at the company but I know that Gail Simone wasn't the only person to be a casualty of that right uh the writing team on Batwoman I know was removed around that same time and I I don't recall specifically what the issue was but Simone fortunately is somebody that has enough of a fan following that I think even even then you know just kind of starting out writing Batgirl she'd already had some acclaimed runs on Wonder Woman and Birds of Prey and I think the fans were like uh heck no you're not taking her off that book so yeah I think this was also like as you said there was a lot of things going on with editorial and I think this is what really added fuel to the fire like it was already ongoing and then after this happened it was like okay we've had enough right <laughs> yeah Rob Liefeld actually is another creator that was working at DC right around the new 52 reboot and I know that he was pretty vocal on social media about some of the managerial issues that were going on too so that Again, that all tracks. That all makes sense. Yeah. Fortunately, none of it affects the story that we're going to talk about this episode. No, so no, just a little background info, though, just for fun. So Artie and CF, uh, I, again, I really hope that I'm pronouncing his name correctly. Before we really talk about his art or his work on this title or his career, I do need to address that there was a fairly substantial controversy involving some choices that he made on the X-Men Gold title. We're not going to discuss that here. If you want to know more information about that, it's pretty well documented on the internet. And all of that went down in 2017. But we're going to go ahead and bypass that and just talk about his career leading up to this and also his actual work on this title. So Artie and CF is from Indonesia, and he began working professionally in 2007 on the book The Dresden Files after deciding that he wasn't willing to work a conventional job to make his income and he was going to pursue drawing full-time. Right after that, his mainstream work began at Marvel, doing fill-in issues of series like X-Men, Manifest Destiny, Nightcrawler, and Captain Britain. And then his first work at DC was the origin story for the character of Congo Rilla, which was in the uh, Cry for Justice event title, which is not one that I've read, but it's one that I've heard is uh, not particularly well-liked. <laughs> But I don't think that has anything to do with the art. I, th I think it's really just a, a writing thing. But he also uh, alternated art duties on JLA with artist Eddie Barrows. Uh, Eddie Barrows, coincidentally, was the main penciler on Nightwing at this time. While his contract with DC expired close to when the New 52 launched, 
CF landed the job as regular penciler on Batgirl, and he was praised for being able to blend the brighter tone of the character with the dark backdrop of Gotham City. And I think that's something that really comes across in this story. It's not a Batman story. It has a different tone to it. And while a lot of the villains are dark, the world itself does not feel quite so dark. And uh, apparently Gail Simone was inspired by just knowing his background and his his nationality so she included an indonesian borough in gotham in a later story knowing that he would be able to draw that accurately nice so yeah and again uh his professional career does seem to have either really stalled or ended entirely after uh some controversy that he was involved in in 2017 but like i said before we're not really going to get into that here there's just honestly plenty of places on the internet where you can find controversy and I don't necessarily think that we need to address that here so yeah I like the art in this one kind of like you said it's a lot brighter which I think Mm -hmm. is good to distinguish Batgirl as brighter than Batman and there's a lot of detail in it without making it look too rigid or gritty and a good range of emotions which is so much better than the Spider-Woman origin that we reviewed previously, where everybody had the same sort of angry face. Like there's a lot of good range of emotion shown from the characters in here. I did notice a couple instances where Batgirl's red hair disappeared a few times while she was in costume, like it's on top of her cape. So it's kind of Mm -hmm. not missable. I don't know if there were any other inconsistencies or what the reason was, or if it's just a, you know, oops moment, it happens, no big deal. But I did, notice that but it didn't detract from the story or the art i mean my guess is that was probably just an oversight when trying to get the book out on time but but i i don't know to be sure so one thing that stuck out to me and this is really only because i was reading a lot of new 52 titles when it began again everybody this is pretty much when i jumped on with dc because i was like well i'm not going to be confused if they're rebooting everything back to number one. So I can pick up any title and kind of figure out what's going on. There was something almost like a house style at DC, particularly for their hero books. And just, I guess, to unpack that statement a little bit, a house style is when they have many of their artists trying to do sort of a consistent or similar-ish looking visual style to keep the line consistent. So I think that Artie and CF is within those parameters of sort of their stock superhero style that they were pushing at the time. But he also has enough mastery of, you know, using good camera angles and posing and being able to capture emotion on faces that he rendered the scenes, like you said, in a lot of detail, but it wasn't too much detail. Right. And I think that that worked really well. I don't know that the art necessarily was something that jumped out at me as being truly exceptional, but what it did do was it communicated the story beats very clearly. And honestly, a lot of times that's really the most you can ask for. There are a lot of pencilers out there that are not able to do that. There are even some that were working at DC at the time that if they were to choreograph a fight scene, I could not tell you what was going on, but all the action is very clear in this. You know, everybody's expressions are really good. So yeah, I I would have to agree with you that I really liked it. I think the other thing too, is that, you know, this is a street level character. So we're seeing Mm -hmm. her in danger quite a bit and a lot of like people action, but there's not really any 
opportunity in here to wow you with the art of, you know, some crazy monster or big destruction or something like that. But like you said, right. it, it serves its purpose and it serves its purpose well, which is, yeah, really good. Yeah, yeah, it just it it has a very consistent look to it. And especially in the age of constantly rotating pencilers, it was really nice to have this trade really just have a consistent look all the way throughout. I think that that really helped me stay immersed in the story. So, so as far as the actual story goes, just a little synopsis for those of you who haven't read the story. I hadn't read it before preparing for this episode. So, Barbara Gordon has recently recovered from a spinal injury, which she got from the Joker three years ago. So this original storyline happened in 1988 in something called The Killing Joke, which if you're a DC fan and Batman fan is probably very memorable. Yeah. Um, but during the New 52 timeline, it happened in 2008, essentially, because this came out in 2011, so three years prior. But she's trying to put her life together after waking up from neural implant surgery that's allowed her to walk again. And so she's able to resume her operations as the vigilante Batgirl, not to be confused with Batwoman. That's somebody different because there's all <laughs> kinds of bat people uh, yeah, in are. Gotham City. <laughs> So she faces conflicts as she tries to hide her identity from her new roommate, Alyssa Yao, her father, James Gordon, and of course, take down villains, The Mirror and Gretel. And I'm so glad that The Mirror didn't call himself Hansel because that would have been awkward. <laughs> yeah, it would have been really awkward. So speaking of Batwoman, I did want to ask, she has bright red hair and so does Batgirl. Mm -hmm. I remember Batgirl having blonde hair and maybe that's from the animated series or the movies or something jim gordon always has red hair in the animated series and i believe batgirl does as well, as well. Uh, okay alicia, alicia silverstone played her in the batman and robin movie and she would have been a blonde there yeah. so so that's that's really the only blonde version of batgirl that i can think of but kate kane's red hair is usually portrayed as it's a wig or it's dye because it's a it's a like a dark deep red whereas batgirl and commissioner gordon both have that kind of natural more of like an orange right red hair it just seems, like an irish look it yeah. just seemed confusing to me because and even in the story it happens where somebody's like oh thank you batwoman and she's like actually i'm batgirl <laughs> and i'm like right. okay that was an easy mistake because you both have red hair right like, maybe barbara should have wore a wig and had different color hair i don't know but Seems well, I mean, and, and her mask doesn't really hide her face super well either. So it's, you have to suspend your disbelief a little bit there. Well, I, I have trouble doing that when it comes to red hair because I'm a little <laughs> it's a little personal to me. So that's fair. <laughs> <laughs> that's fair. Yeah. So I, I actually really liked that Gail Simone didn't spend a whole lot of time rehashing the events of the killing joke or explaining that Barbara is Commissioner James Gordon's daughter or any of that. They kind of blew past it in really one or two pages and then got into this story. They reference the events and they, they show a couple panels from The Killing Joke to just kind of remind you that, hey, she was paralyzed for a while, but they don't dwell on it. I do want to say, though, that this was kind of considered controversial at the time, making her back into Batgirl because she had been established at DC as Oracle. For quite a while now and she was basically the computer hacker 
and operator person for the Justice League up on the watchtower. And she had been paralyzed. And so some people said taking away her disability made the DC universe a less accepting place. I personally don't feel that way, but maybe that's because I grew up watching the 90s Batman the Animated Series. And so Batgirl to me should be Barbara Gordon. That was just, that was the Batgirl that I grew up knowing. Yeah, same here. And I know there was that controversy, but at the same time, what they did with her character or what Gail Simone did with her character Mm -hmm. was give her this sort of PTSD. And she's trying to figure out how is she going to live her life? And the first thing she does is jump back in the Batgirl suit and go out vigilanteing. Right. It's not like she just goes necessarily back to normal because things aren't normal and she deals with that. So I I think it's more you're just sort of trading one disability for another form because now it's more of a mental issue that she has to overcome. And like when people point guns at her, you know, she kind of freaks out. And I think later in later stories, she actually confronts the Joker or he confronts her or something again and she has to deal with that. So there's still a lot of trauma for her to go through and, and deal with. I think it's pretty realistic in the way that they show her emotional journey because she doesn't just jump back into crime fighting and suddenly she's amazing at it. She has to really kind of relearn these skills. And she does have a moment really early on where she's taking down some serial killers, basically. And she uh, saves one of them. He goes to the hospital and then the mirror shows up to kill this guy. The mirror is her first really big villain that she fights. And she freezes whenever he pulls out a gun because he's pointing it at like the same position the Joker was pointing the gun. So they they do portray it, I think, realistically enough that she's not perfect. And, and you do feel like she's trying to get back on that horse and get back to her crime fighting thing. But it's it's definitely not something that comes easily. She's just if anything, they portray Barbara as an incredibly determined person. And now that she's got her legs back and this, this, you know, basically this miracle has happened that she's able to walk again, you just get that, that she's really determined that she's not going to waste this. She's going to get her life back to where it was before again. Yeah. Yeah. So the events in this story happen pretty quickly, I think not Mm -hmm. as fast as some, but it does seem like we go from one point to another rather quickly. So that was something that I I don't know. I enjoyed it seemed quick. And there were these little synopses of what happened prior to the start of this run. And for me, it was enough pieces that I was familiar enough with it that I could keep up with what was going on. But for somebody who is like a new reader or, you know, jumping on to New 52, because that's the time to jump on to DC, you know, they may Mm -hmm. not have caught all of these things that they sort of just blew past pretty quickly. Was that something that was difficult for you jumping onto New 52 or did you have enough familiarity outside? Well, I was aware of the killing joke because that's that's probably one of the most famous Batman stories ever written by Alan Moore. So I I was aware of the events of that, at least I was aware of Oracle only because I had read some JLA comics back in the 90s where she was featured. But to me, this was very much restoring Barbara to a status quo that I wanted to see. So I was happy with them making this change. And I also felt like, really, really, how much do you need to know? They show her moving out of her father's house towards the beginning and, you know, getting a new roommate. And I think that establishes very quickly that 
you know, she and, and Commissioner Gordon have a really loving relationship. They're really close, but she needs her own space and, you know, her, her own place to kind of go and be independent now that she's healing. She's almost independent to a fault, even, I would say, because there's a couple points in the story where she maybe could have benefited from some help, particularly from Nightwing, that she just flat refuses it because she's like, I've got to do this. I've got to, you know, prove to myself that I can get back on top. I, I think that everything was communicated well enough that I was able to pick it up and, and follow it. Again, having watched all those animated shows as a kid, I think that really just, that taught me mostly what I needed to know to be able to jump into the Batman universe without knowing a lot of extra stuff. Yeah, the thing I didn't know was that, like, how or why she had recovered from getting mm -hmm. shot. Because to me, like, I see this and all of a sudden she's just up and bounding around and I'm thinking, okay, are we ignoring what happened? Or And then she says that, you know, she's recovering from it. So I knew that it was after, but I kept thinking, you know, how did this happen? How does she get back into it? I have absolutely no idea. So fortunately, there's a line of dialogue in like the fifth issue where they talk about some neural implant surgery that she had. And then we also get some flashbacks of her in the hospital in the sixth issue that gives some more information as to what happened. So I still don't know all the details or when exactly this happened, but I got enough in these issues that I knew the gist of how she recovered. I, I guess this is a good segue to talk about the major theme of the story, or certainly the first story in the trade, which is kind of the idea that miracles do happen and people do have good things happen to them where they get back on top after trauma. And that, that is a possibility in life. And the villain, the mirror, is very much a reaction to that idea. Because he, I think his name is Jonathan Mills. Mm -hmm. He's somebody that was, he was like a DEA agent, I believe. Yeah. And he was in a horrible car accident where his wife and his twin daughters were killed. But he came out fine. And so he's living with this survivor's guilt that just completely broke him and turned him into this supervillain. And basically his gimmick is that he, he's got a hit list that are people that have survived accidents where it seems like they should have died. And he's going to basically make it right and kill them after the fact. So that's, that's pretty much his MO. And, and that's really a major theme of this story that Barbara is struggling with as well, where she's kind of trying to get back on top and kind of trying to get back into fighting shape again, but she almost feels like she doesn't deserve it you know and and why why am i so lucky that you know i got the use of my legs back but there are plenty of other people that are crippled for life and that is part of her internal dialogue so i enjoyed that the villain was going through a different struggle i guess my i guess my question about that is do you like when comic books use that trope because there are a lot of villains that are dark reactions to either a hero's personal struggle or what their persona is. I mean, there's Reverse Flash, there's Bizarro. Ironmonger is probably a, you know, a good example of like a Marvel one that's just kind of a dark version of one of the heroes. But is that something that you enjoyed? Did you feel like it was too on the nose? It really just depends on the villain. Because I think some of them are created like the Reverse Flash and they become legendary because they're so, they're such good villains even almost on their own, but mm -hmm. they also, they're so evil because they know the hero, they know them personally, and it makes it 
more of a, a personal fight. Like now I'm not just a person in a suit who's trying to save somebody. Now I'm trying to save myself because there's something personal going on. Whereas there are other supervillains not done so well. The first one that comes to my mind is really from a movie that I'm sure most people have seen where red kryptonite is created with nicotine and <laughs> creates a dark Superman. So something yeah. like <laughs> something like that like if you said hey you just watched this movie do you does it work to have a character be a dark reaction to another character after watching that movie i would say no but after yeah. you know reading the flash or watching it or whatever and seeing the reverse flash i would say yes so right it really depends in this story i felt like it was a little on the nose like the mm -hmm. symbolism wasn't subtle and it was a little I don't know, kind of funny. And I wonder if it's because, you know, we have a satirical writer here who likes to be snarky. So it's almost like I'm going to do some symbolism and I'm going to beat you over the head with it because it's yeah. fun. Because <laughs> he yeah, she's not I, I would not describe Gail Simone as a subtle writer. I, I think that's right. that's a pretty good observation. Yeah. Well, because like the mirror, he he's a mirror. He is a reflection. And yeah. like he opens his cape and it's got like these mirrors or I, I guess reflective material because you wouldn't want to mm -hmm. put glass in your cape that shows. <laughs> that I don't know. There's a panel where it almost looks like it's multifaceted. It's like a funhouse mirror. Yeah. Yeah. Funhouse mirrors because Batgirl's looking into it and there's like a different take on her face in each one of the aspects, which is really visually cool, but doesn't really make any kind of sense. No, it, it made no sense. And like, I thought it was going to be something <laughs> supernatural or like Ghost Rider, where he's going to show them some dark secret and it's going to make them like, oh my gosh, I see my secret here reflected on your cape. Like I've done something wrong and I feel really bad about it or something, but it's really just like a funhouse mirror. And you're like, oh, yeah. that's creepy. Okay. Why are you after me again? <laughs> so he was a little weird and he was maybe a little on the nose about his struggle and because he's got survivor's guilt basically he survived right. and his family didn't and he feels guilty about it so now he's mm. going to go kill people who have survived because he shouldn't have survived so they shouldn't have survived and i think that makes sense from a story character villain perspective and is a good story but just the whole mirror thing and the reflections and he was a little ominous and what does the dea have to do with like, yeah. Did he really get that kind of training to be able to go toe to toe with Batgirl and have this crazy suit? And I guess he had the money. So, well, it's almost it's almost like if you're in Gotham, you have to go to the theme store and like pick a theme <laughs> villains of are some us. kind to be a villain, because that's like what people do in Gotham. Right. So I, I don't know if it's just the fact that it's a Batman universe book. And so he's got to have some gimmick and so he's a he's a dark reflection of her struggle so he's the mirror i you know i don't know i i think i would agree with you that his name and his shtick are a little bit lame but i don't know that it was enough that it really bothered me too much because their conflicts were entertaining to watch when they were fighting and when she was kind of trying to figure out what motivated him i think all that stuff was good and i think a couple of things shine through in her fight scenes and just her interactions with both the mirror and other criminals. Number one, she's constantly thinking on her feet because you get to see her thought process through all of this. So she's thinking about like, what angle do I need to hit this person at? Or, ooh, I made a mistake. 
you know, thankfully the shock absorbers in my suit absorb that hit, but I'm going to need to be strategic in where I strike next. And there's a lot of the fights where she talks about how she's out muscled and she's going to have to outthink this opponent. And this here is something that I'm really, really happy that Gail Simone hit on because this is what sets Batgirl apart from the other Bat heroes. She is incredibly smart. She's great with computers. And she also has that eidetic memory, which is both a blessing and a curse. It's good because she can look at the mirror's hit list and instantly remember it, even though he gets it back from her. Uh, it's bad because she can remember every detail of when the, the Joker shot her, too. So it's it really is kind of a blessing and a curse. But But I really think that even down to like her kind of dorky puns and dialogue that she makes, I think that they the writer and the artist really communicate her intelligence and her ability very quickly and easily. And it really does make her feel like a completely separate person from Batman. Oh yeah, definitely. Not, not just separate, but like you said, unique in her own regard. Yeah. That was something that I was also missing from this was, you know, she goes right from, I was in the hospital, I had the surgery, I recovered, and now I'm back on the streets in this suit. Like, I guess it wasn't that long per the story of how long that she was in the wheelchair, even though, you know, it's a really old story, but it just seemed like it was really quick. Like, wouldn't you want to test yourself or do like a training (laughs) montage like Electra did in the Daredevil movie, you know, attack some sandbags or something before you go out and fight some villains? Yeah, the first people that she fights are a group of three serial killers that are trying to murder a family during a home invasion. So yeah, that that seems like that would be something you'd want to work up to Just ease back into it a little bit, go through some training scenarios, you know, something. But yeah, she just jumps back into it. And she's like, well, hope I can survive. Let's see. OK, I got outsmart this guy. Oh, here we go. Oh, watch out for that. Like, I mean, scary. to to Gail Simone's credit, you do feel that inexperience and that shakiness in the character. And there is kind of a sense that she's learning as she goes while she's going through this. Like, I felt like she was super in danger in most of the early fight scenes, even though she does talk about how her suit has some technology in it or some, like, shock absorption. I think there's some Kevlar in there that can, you know, blunt a knife strike or a bullet wound or something like that. I don't know that it would hold up to, you know, sustained fire or something like that. But I, well, I don't know, Joe, what did you think of them having her in almost more of a tactical suit? It was something that I, I liked and then I mostly liked it because yeah. she would she would call it out. And when she called it out, it was kind of like weird. But at the same time, you know, it's not something that you can really show. So the only way to convey it in this medium is to call it out as it happens. But, you know, you right. see a lot of panels where there's a ton of action happening or it's like a snapshot in time where it's really short and the character has this huge line of dialogue about something <laughs> like it. it it takes you out of it a little bit, but yeah, that being said, like, I, I mean, it's smart, right? Because she's this small looking girl and she even admits like, she doesn't have the strength to go toe to toe with a lot of these big dudes. Mm -hmm. And honestly, you can only be so smart when you're fighting somebody who is just in a different weight class than you. And it's amazing how even a little bit of smartness or martial arts training, just a small amount can take somebody who's really big and make them defeat somebody who's small, who has years of either martial arts or some kind of fighting training, barring weapons and guns and, and that sort of thing. So 
she would right. have to be so careful and she would have to be super smart to outsmart people who are big and, you know, a DEA agent, I'm sure gets some kind of combat training. Yeah. So it, it's totally smart. And I think makes sense. It gives her more credibility that she's not just out there in leather or spandex, mm -hmm. you know, she's got all this Kevlar and shock plates and she gets hit like in the back of the neck and it's, but it's still thin and lightweight. So it's still going right. to hurt. It's still going to bruise. And she's still in danger, but it at least absorbs enough that if she gets hit, she's not just down for the count. And I think that's really good because you see a lot of movies and stuff where characters get punched in the stomach and punched in the face and they get right back up and continue. And I'm just like, you, like, you punch me once in the face. I'm probably out for hours. I don't know. Right. Like <laughs> yeah. You know, this is something that often is not addressed in comic books. I don't think we're, we're you know, we'll have the big action set piece. And a lot of times we have characters that have superpowers, right? But most of the Bat characters don't have a superpower. And really the only power that you could argue Barbara has is the perfect memory thing, which again is not going to help you survive a fight necessarily. So I, I liked it too. Um, I think there were some panels where maybe the suit itself looked a little over detailed to me. I don't necessarily need to see like every tread on the bottom of the boot or anything like that. But I do think that it adds a level of realism that you don't normally see in superhero comics. So, yeah, yeah and it was I, good. It was good, too, that they didn't overdraw her as sexual as well, like being no. in a, a tight suit. And there she is, like Spider-Woman origin that I keep hating on. But anyway, oh man, I, I mean, we can't. <laughs> Honestly, it's really hard not to compare this to that because this is another, you know, this is a female-led title where we're really establishing her as her own character. But at least for my part, I just, and we're, you know, only part of the way through it, but I'm just so much better implemented than that oh, was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Without, and and the, while Gil Simone can and does portray the sexuality of her characters in a lot of her books, I feel that even she is restrained a little bit as a writer in this one mm -hmm. where that's not really something that they make much of an issue out of or that they really play up. Yeah. I did yeah. notice one, one panel where she's like, I think she's swinging from the rooftops or she's taking a dive or something. Oh, is it her, the one where her legs are like wide open? Yeah. And her yeah, cape is up yeah. and I'm just like, uh, okay, do we need this view? <laughs> like all you had to do was put her cape down and yeah. it would have been fine. But I was just like, oh, but in your face, like literally. Yeah. Yeah, I noticed that panel. That's, yeah. that's true. So, so it's not completely devoid of that. But So speaking of butts, let's talk about Nightwing. <laughs> you know, that that's I'm I'm glad that you used that for for the segue because honestly, I don't know why this is a thing. This has been a thing in comics as long as I know of, but Dick Grayson has an amazing butt apparently. Everyone says it to him all the time. If we're we're going to be reading some of his solo title next time, and I guarantee you somebody's going to bring that up at some point. So Nightwing being in this story, I <laughs> I like that that was our segue to talking about Nightwing. It was a good segue. Let's talk about butt. Well, it's better than he... <laughs> talking about his name being Richard. And yeah, what? yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, I mean, kids can be so cruel. Exactly. Everybody calls him Dick, but. <laughs> Yeah, Nightwing being in this story, I liked it, but I felt that Barbara was really harsh towards him 
And I, I get that there was some past relationship there that they're kind of alluding to. And she's trying to be independent, but Dick basically comes at her with Bruce and I love you. He's not going to come out and say it, but you know, we're concerned about you. We just want to make sure you're okay. And she really comes at him hard and pushes him away. And I don't know. I mean, I recognize that we're really trying to establish her independence, but I thought she went a little too far with him, maybe. Yeah, she's really she's trying to strike out on her own and be independent, but she's also really stubborn and she's not going to take any help. She's like, I have Mm. to do this. And I, I think that is kind of a symptom of PTSD where you're like, I need to do this on my own and prove it to myself that. I can do this. And if anyone helps me, I won't have earned it on my own. So she almost feels like she's overcompensating a little bit as well. Like she's, you know, got something to prove. I think, I think you hit on something really important there because I think what Simone is doing is she is not necessarily just writing a good female character. She's just writing a good character. Her motivations feel realistic and the ptsd angle isn't something that necessarily tracked in that scene with me but now that you mention it i could very much see that being intentional of she's lashing out because you know she just wants to put everything back in order she wants to be back on the top of her game again and here's this guy coming in being like do you need any help and that just Mm -hmm. really kind of set her off she she is able to wrap up the case with the mirror on her own and it was kind of anticlimactic the final fight that she had with him but in a way he wasn't really like once she figured out that you know what he was motivated by she was able to actually be very very harsh with him and kind of use the memory of his dead family against him to catch him which seemed pretty harsh at the time until you think about the fact that he's killed like seven people at this point in the story and like blown up a train and you know so really, she had to do what she had to do to catch him and and get him into custody. Yeah, so. he wasn't planning to stop for anything. He was no. going to keep going, and she had to do anything to get him to stop and focus on her. And Yeah. Well, and, and interestingly, both Batgirl and Barbara Gordon were on his list of people that should be dead as separate people, too, which I thought was kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. So, so he was, he was really aimed at her no matter what identity she was in, but yeah, I, I don't know. It's one of those where it's like, yeah, it was really on the nose, but I also think that with the themes that she was exploring of survivor's guilt and particularly how that was relevant to Barbara, I didn't mind it too much because it felt like the natural journey for her character to be going on through this story, especially after what happened between her and the Joker. So. I don't know. It it to me it felt like kind of a logical starting point for that character if they were gonna keep that old story in continuity, which they did. Simone actually does go to great lengths during her entire run, and we're we're only gonna get to two of them in these six issues, but she really goes to great lengths to build up a rogues gallery that is just Batgirls. And I think that's so important because the next villain is Gretel, which She's not really as interesting as the mirror. I don't think she's basically just a reporter that was trying to stop some criminals and she gets shot a bunch of times and that somehow gives her mind control powers over men. I don't yeah. I don't really understand. OK, how that, sure. How that play, I don't really understand how that played out and it's not explained, but 
I think that what Simone was going for there was like if the mirror was sort of the representation of Barbara's psychological struggle, then Gretel was kind of like the physical struggle to get back on top after you've been through an assault or something like that. But I don't think it tracked quite as well. But there there are later villains and like later trades. Like there's a guy named Grotesque. There's a character named Nightfall. There's a female version of the ventriloquist that Simone introduces that's incredibly creepy. And then, um, oh, what's the other one? It's uh, Ragdoll, I think, which is a character that they did on either the Flash or the Arrow TV show. But she actually shows up as one of Batgirl's rogues as well. So I don't, I don't know. I liked at least, even, even if the implementation on especially the second villain wasn't as good, I really liked that Simone was being intentional about giving Batgirl her own people to fight and not just, oh, this week she fights this Batman villain. Yeah, it's interesting to hear you talk about Gretel because I actually thought she was a better villain than the mirror. Oh, was. really? Okay, interesting. So you tell I liked some of the I don't know if it was symbolism, but she when she gets killed by the mob family that she's trying to mm-hmm. infiltrate, she gets shot twice in the stomach and once in the head. And that's a very military tactic. And I think uh, mob families have adopted that as well. So sure. there's this thing where she was shot three times with a 38 right. caliber pistol. And so this three, three, eight is a number that like sticks with her and somehow in combination of her getting these powers, whoever that she controls with her hypnotic suggestion repeats this three, three, eight over and over. And so that's how we, as the reader know that somebody has been possessed by right. this power that she has. And they're also not able to feel physical pain. And it seems like she mainly targets men, which, mm-hmm. you know, following that this is a female led story, it's the men who are being controlled, which is fine. But I would think that it would just apply to people in general. It seems really odd that it would be specifically targeted to men unless. It was yeah, like that's not really explained. Um, yeah. But Batgirl does seem to be immune to the mind control, which is definitely good for us because <laughs> yes, it is. would have been a lot more difficult for her to beat this villain if that were the case. But she she has a, a you know tragic story of wanting to be this reporter and it comes to an end and it's really sad and at the end of the this story Batgirl seems to be very sympathetic with her you know understanding that she doesn't want her her power taken away and not just the power of hypnotic suggestion but also being in control of of her own life because she's another one like the mirror was targeting that was supposed to die and instead some miracle saved her and she's still alive. So she did all of this and now she's going to go to prison and she's going to sit in a cell. And it seems like really terrible for that character, especially, you know, for somebody who wants their freedom and has a second lease on life and and all that stuff. Of course, she's a villain. So, I mean, she has to go somewhere because you can't just let her roam free, but. Well, I mean, her, her opening seen she has a bunch of mob bosses what like gun down their own brothers or something and then isn't there uh like a family in a car up on a bridge that are under threat of death as well so they're i mean she does outright murder people yes so you can't let her go but it just seemed like there should have been some either rehabilitation or Batgirl had the opportunity to 
talk to her as a person and be like, Hey, you know, we all have our personal traumas, but you can't let them define you, you know, insert superhero speech here. But instead she's just like, there's nothing I can do for this person. So I'm just going to jet. Yeah. Um, it, it wraps up very abruptly and it, it's a very dark way to end that. Um, knowing that this run continues, I'm fairly certain. And I mean, it's been years since I've read it, but I'm fairly certain that Gretel does come back because I do recall some kind of scene where like the mirror and Gretel and several other villains from Simone's run are sort of meeting up at Arkham Asylum to, you know, all come back and come after her at some point. Yeah, it's as far as an ending to this story, there's a lot of moral ambiguity there of like, is Batgirl even really doing the right thing by turning her over to the police and, you know, having her end up in Arkham Asylum? Because as we know from pretty much everything Batman, Arkham Asylum isn't really a great place. I don't think there's a lot of rehabilitation that goes on there. In fact, there, I don't know. Sometimes it's, it's, almost rumored that there might be some experimentation going on there with characters like Hugo Strange, who's a Batman villain. And even I can't remember the the name of the doctor. It's like Jeremiah Arkham or Amadeus Arkham. I can't remember. One of them is from the old West and one of them is from the modern day, but I, I can't remember which he's not always portrayed as a hundred percent on the level either. So yeah, it's, it, it was a really really kind of a sad way to end this character's story. I I think it's interesting that you liked her better. I think that maybe I just felt like her story was so condensed in only two issues that I didn't get the time to appreciate that villain as much as the mirror. And maybe the psychological angle appeals to me more than like the physical recovery. But both of them are very much rooted in kind of what Barbara Gordon is going through and being sort of a dark version of that so in in that sense it makes a lot of sense to me that they're included as villains in this story yeah Yeah. i just felt that the mirror was a little too reflective and (laughs) i don't know (laughs) (laughs) he wasn't but he wasn't like i mean you say he's the psychological villain yeah i guess because he he's really dealing with survivor's guilt and he's just it just seemed very simplistic. Like, yeah, he's got, he's got this thing. And so now he's killing anybody else who has this thing. And then that's it. You know, yeah, if Gretel, fair. if Gretel was like, hey, men killed me, so I'm just going to kill all the men. That would be like kind of the equivalent. But she just seemed a little more three dimensional as far as wanting to mm-hmm. open up into anyone who's being oppressed or these men who are who are ruling and they're taking advantage of women and all this oppression that's going on, like she wants to stop that. Like she, she almost felt to me like she could have been an anti-hero. Yeah, I, I could, I could have seen her character taking that angle. And there is, there is kind of an undercurrent through the entire book of sort of an anti-establishment vibe. Alicia or Alyssa Yao, she like sprays fight the power on Barbara's wall in her apartment, and she says, "Sorry, I'm kind of an activist." And, and there's, there's actually a scene where she confronts Barbara about her bruises and she's like, you're, you're not going to lie to me about where these came from. You're going to tell me what's going on and who did this to you and all that kind of. And, and so there, there is a very strong undercurrent of justice is not being served in this society that runs through the whole book. 
And I think it's more of that than just the basic superhero understanding of that. Because really, really the idea of the superhero or the citizen's arrest is at its core, it's that idea that like our justice system is not adequate, right? It's not, it's not meeting the needs of the people. So that's why we need these vigilantes to go out there, operate outside the law and, you know, bring people to justice that the police can't get within the system. But I, I think Simone's writing here maybe goes above and beyond what you normally see in that genre. And she's really hitting on some ideas there of, you know, there, there are people that are falling through the cracks here and what do we do about it? And really Barbara is one of those people that could have very much fallen through the cracks. It's just that she fortunately had the support system of her father and of Batman and, and, you know, the people around her, and then eventually was able to get this surgery that I would assume Wayne paid for. I, I don't know that, but I would assume that he paid for it and that allowed her to get back on top. But there, there are these people like, uh, you know, Jonathan Mills and like Gretel that didn't have, anything to fall back on and they're just kind of uh, they're kind of left with nothing so i yeah I've, i do think they show that well it's it's just it's a very dark place to end it i i think the whole like anti-establishment fight the power trope is the perfect story for gotham city it is because mm -hmm. there are a lot of corrupt cops fortunately there's a commissioner who is not but I think that adds such a layer of complication because you have Batgirl who's kind of bucking the system and she's got this friend who's probably going to have an influence on her even more so, but then she doesn't want to fight the system too hard because she loves her dad and respects what he does and knows that he's a good cop. Right. So there's a lot of things to make this more complicated. It's not black and white. Yeah, exactly. It's there, there was something else, too, that I think adds to this and also was something that I'd never seen before quite like this, where we saw Bruce Wayne in this story quite a bit, mm -hmm. and he was trying to rebuild the city. And it really gave me the sense of, like, I think they stole some of this on Arrow, where the <laughs> Oliver Queen there runs for mayor, and then he starts trying to do good things for the city because it's really gone downhill and he's also this vigilante and all these things are happening. And you see Bruce, who's trying to use his money and rebuild parts of the city and make things better. And people are like, ah, you know, that Wayne kid, he's just in tabloids and stuff. What does he know about restoring the city? He just wants to build skyscrapers because he's got too much money. Right. So he, he comes out and he gives this great speech about wanting to rebuild and follow in his father's legacy and just he doesn't sound like a spoiled rich kid and i think it impressed the people and it was this really cool story moment that i was like wow bruce wayne gets to be the superhero instead of batman like yeah hey, this is neat and then of course you know villains crash the party like they always do but it was still neat and i think it added a whole new dimension to gotham of like we're not just fighting crime and throwing thugs into the slammer and finding these crazy dressed supervillains and throwing them into Arkham for them to get even more crazy and then get out. But there mm -hmm. was actually a sense of like, this is a real city and there's people who live here and we want to bring the light back to it. And I thought that was perfect for Batgirl being more brightly colored and not so dark like Batman of like, she could really bring brightness back to the city of darkness. Yeah, I would argue that that Gail Simone's take on Batman and, and really Batman is is barely in this it's really just bruce that's yeah. in the story more and he's 
even then he's a background character. But I think that her understanding of Bruce is much more closely aligned with what I would like to see them do. I want to see him using his philanthropy for good. I want to see that he has a heart beating underneath that, that bat cowl and that he's not just bottled rage all the time. You know, that, that to me is more interesting to, to see that he is a multifaceted person, that he has other dimensions to him and that he's not just fighting for the city by fighting against, you know, mentally ill criminals. (laughs) So, so I don't, I don't know. Yeah, that it was, you're, you're right. It was, it was a really good moment. So Joe, how many bananas would you give this story out of five? Yeah. So I think usually when I rate things, I go into this long spiel about justifying what I'm going to give my rating Mm -hmm. as, and then I give it right at the end because I feel like I need to explain it. But I think in this episode, we've really gone through a lot of all of that already. So I'm just going to say up front that this was a four out of five for me because I really enjoyed the story and I really enjoyed what they brought to Batgirl. But then also the pacing was fast, which was fine, but I just felt the whole storyline was rushed. If this would have been maybe six issues on, well, not the mirror, because I probably wouldn't have liked that as much, (laughs) but if it was five issues on Gretel and you know what, we had this big, huge villain arc I think I would have rated it higher, but it just, the Mm -hmm. arcs were very short and I'm assuming it was because we're just getting back into new 52 or we're just starting new 52. So we want to throw some Batgirl at you so you can see what's going on. So they wanted to rush through a couple of stories, but I would want to see more with Gretel and just more really with Batgirl taking her time to really go through this arc of, you know, if she's really going to see her reflection and I use that pun again and again, in these villains, then let's see that reflection. Let's really see it. And then let's see her react to it. What does she do with this? Because I Mm -hmm. think that's what the story is missing is what does she do with all of this information that she's getting and all of this journey that she's having with these villains? She's more or less just kind of still new, getting back on her feet and trying to survive. And that's really where her attention is at. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I would I would mostly agree with you. It's funny because Mirror landed with me better than Gretel. But really, for all the same reasons you mentioned, I'm going to give this a four out of five as well. I just I really enjoyed the story. Pacing issues aside, that's really what I'm taking the point away from, because there are a lot of really, really good ideas here that Simone really could have expanded out further, even within the context of just these six issues. Now, that being said, I know this is a much longer run, and I know that she, you know, really puts Batgirl through her paces in the next, you know, 30 issues or so that she writes, besides the, sorry, 17 and 18 by Ray Fox. But yeah, I mean, it's it's a four out of five. It's it's not a perfect story, but it's it's really almost as good as you can get for reintroducing a character. And, you know, this is what made me a fan of this title. This is what made me keep picking up these trades after this point. And, you know, if memory serves, it only gets better. So I I would definitely recommend people check this run out. Uh, I think it's very good. It's not gotten as much press as the run immediately following it. And I'm not really sure why, because I think it's it's just a good story well told. So, yeah, Joe gives it four out of five. I give it four out of five. And uh, 
what are we going to do next time? Well, next time on We Like Comics, because they have no bones, we're going to be talking about Nightwing and his butt. I mean, better than <laughs> Batman by Tim Seeley and Javier Fernandez. So stay tuned for more. All right. Sounds good. Thanks, everybody, right. for listening. Comic books. Comic books. Comics. Comic book podcast. Comics. Don't forget to stay for the after show. After show, show, show.